0: Okay, so for today's episode of Forward Thinking, we're super excited to have a special guest, Dan Fronin. So welcome, Dan.
1: Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here today.
0: <laughs> Dan is the CMO of one of the leading direct mail and e-gift sending platforms, Sendoso, um, and also has uh, a great background. He's been one of our clients actually at a few different companies. Um, including Schedula, where he was the SVP of marketing and Aptus where he was the VP of marketing. Um, so, uh, we, when we thought of you know what traits does a CMO look for in a marketing ops person, one of the first people we thought of is Dan. Just knowing how much he knows about the department, um, and actually. This leads us into our, you know, first area. We want to talk about is Dan actually has a background in marketing ops, so he was actually a director of marketing ops at a publishing. Mu- music publishing company. So um, it probably a little bit different back then. But Dan, I would love to know, you know, what was it like leading MOPS back in uh, 2010? And that was actually, I think, right when market automation was getting hot and and starting and. Um, can you take us through how you went from your director role in marketing ops all the way to CMO today?
1: Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, running marketing ops in 2010 was way different than today with, you know, the technology landscape and how much it's changed. Um, but some things were super similar, right? So number one being, uh, I was responsible for all of our budget across marketing. So events, PR, advertising, I ran a central budget. Uh, and I ran a central, so we were structured in a way to where uh, product data and catalogs and websites were very important to that business. So I ran a central kind of pro- uh, program manager uh, function where we handled email marketing, all the text variable data for these catalogs and really f- kind of became the central hub of kind of data and information. Um, and what marketing House really was back then was um, trying new tools. So um, we started our very first email marketing programs. We started our very first digital catalogs. Um, so we were doing a ton of direct mail, but we knew that mm. if we create some you know, actual digital interactive catalogs and marry that data back to the online and offline data, we could probably cut down our, our direct mail costs. So a lot of kind of that early audience match and behavior stuff uh, without the tools to do it that we have today. Um, and, and when I, um, started to progress throughout my career, um, I marketing operations to me is very closely, if not the exact same thing as demand generation in a lot of ways, because you're, you're really trying to find the most efficient ways to to hit goals. And that's kind of how I approached my marketing job, um, after leaving that position. And it's, it's really what got me to where I am today. It's, uh, my, my philosophy is uh, first and foremost data driven so um, that aligns you very well with sales if you're if you're on the same page with what data you're supposed to be looking at so I'm, i'm always looking at pipeline i'm always looking at revenue obviously we can get in the weeds and start talking about data as it relates to names and mqls and sqls and all that fun stuff but fundamentally if you can figure out like those top level business objectives and then start to work backwards Mm -hmm. um you can leverage those those marketing ops chops um and and pretty much take them wherever you want because it it makes you um it makes you financial minded it makes you efficient it makes you um able to have conversations across a lot of different areas
2: well yeah we talk about a a lot of the time marketing operations are the closest to the data and data if you're a data-driven company then marketing operations they're they're the key to unlocking the insight from that data
0: yeah. Yeah, and you're the closest just to all of marketing like you said. I think marketing ops it feels synonymous with just basically all of marketing like what enco- what encapsulates marketing ops. It's like basically everything going on in in marketing and we we say that a lot too because you you know the data, you know how to pull the data, you know what what's important. But you also have the knowledge of even all of the campaigns and programs that go on across the business like across the whole lead life cycle and that's so unique i think compared to other roles where you're very much siloed and you're um so getting to be a cmo from those positions you have a lot of education that you need to do or falling back on the expertise of the people that own those departments so yeah,
2: yeah do you think that it's a solid career path for someone in marketing operations to progress kind of out of marketing operations to
1: more general, and then moving up towards CMO. I, I absolutely do, and I kind of think, um, you know, when I when I think about um, people and their ability to do that, it's 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 how can you how can you be creative with the data, right? So I I, I often feel that there's creativity in marketing just as much when you're talking to a creative director on the the graphic side or talking about a marketing strategy is there is looking at marketing results and the strategy on the data side um and i think that the 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 marketing ops people that can really master the creativity in the data side can easily apply it over to the other side yeah and i think it makes them stronger quite frankly than, than people that don't understand data for sure that uh, and that storytelling around data
2: being able to not only understand the real technical aspect of it, but being able to communicate that well with the company, be able to tell that story so maybe people who aren't as technical can draw the same insights and to understand it as well. Yep. Um, So obviously, now you're in a position where you're hiring marketing ops people. um, And yeah, I feel like everyone probably thinks there's we're a bit of a unique bunch and there's different traits that the different marketing operations people have and there's different traits that obviously you need, but what would you say when you're looking to hire someone in marketing operations, what are some of the hardest to find traits that you look for and that are going to really give them an advantage um, to thrive in that role?
1: Yeah, it's, it's an interesting question. I, th- I think there's two answers, the first being what the stages of the company. So if you're an earlier stage company, like say just took your series A and you're looking to get some operations rigor, it's not uncommon for marketing ops to really be handling ops for the entire go to market team. So it's an, it's an operations person who is not afraid to get outside of systems that aren't just MarTech. So yeah, can you, yeah. do you, are you able to to do some light Salesforce work? Are you able to, um, are you able to run a contractor? Are you able to Um, not only understand the tools that you're using, but expand kind of like your MarTech sales tech vocabulary. Uh, Cause I think that the, the ability to, you know, really get good at the tools that are core to marketing and marketing ops is great. Um, But if you can start to piece together the rest of the stack and actually become an orchestrator, um, then that's the, the, that's really the people that I like to work with is, you know, be really good at Marketo. If you, if you love it, you breathe it, keep doing that, but you should also start to love other platforms and tools as well to, um, you know, just up-level yourself. And I think there's an important part of uh, marketing ops in general that um, a lot of people get scared of in marketing period, and that's budget ownership. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, It's not, it's not always glorious, right? I don't like getting a big spreadsheet once a month and having to go and look at budget versus actuals. But when you get good at that, um, and you learn how to make investment decisions and you learn how to kind of look at performance of programs. And it's it's another part of the data-driven place. And at the end of the day, um, whoever controls the budget usually kind of has a lot of power in marketing. And I think it's a great way for Mops to kind of increase their power really quickly.
0: Yeah, that's interesting because I almost think that that used to be a big part of marketing ops and kind of... Somewhere along the line got stripped away because even for me, when I was coming up in marketing ops, I um, at Marketo. I, I would basically kind of own our spend for marketing, our budget, and I would reconcile the our results from our like program reporting mixed with the budget and our actual spend and like, um, work with our uh, finance department, even to kind of reconcile all that together. And that was a big portion of, of our job and my job, um, and kind of tying those, all those pieces. Um, but I, and I actually see a lot of that not, um, being part of the marketing ops role. I think in some ways they, there's a way for them to say, okay, we'll help you classify your spend on your programs, but there's less of this overall ownership um, of truing that up together, and also making sure the whole department is within that budget. So it'll be interesting to see if that evolves, and because a lot of that will fall back on the demand gen team, and it never ends up kind of in a place mm-hmm. where it's being managed properly. So that's really interesting that you say that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. In really, the the way, the way that I've kind of been thinking about marketing ups more recently is is almost like, in a lot of ways, it, it Canon should be like a chief of staff on a marketing team, right? If it should be running metrics reviews, it should be running the budget. It should be it should be the drummer for the um, for the marketing team, quite frankly.
2: Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. I mean, because we love to say this, yeah, that marketing ops does the work, so the rest of the marketing team can work, and mm-hmm. they can't really do anything without marketing ops these days, right? I mean, yeah. yes, you can. There's, there's some aspects of marketing that don't require technology and processes and, and tools and that orchestration, but almost all of it, it, really, it really requires that to be tied up and set up well so the yeah. marketing team can be efficient and execute. Um, and I loved what, it, what you said as well, not just being a, you know, there's a lot of value to being a Marketo admin, but if that's all you are, you're just going to get stuck being the Marketo admin you yeah. need to have the more breadth of knowledge of, of other tools, other parts of the business and really grow out of that um, to provide a lot more value and then, you know, move up the ranks. Absolutely. Um,
0: I think also too, you bring up a few things about that person really working cross-functionally, especially at a startup. And when we think of even hiring a, a leader, Um, some of the different traits that come to mind are a bit different than what's on the marketing ops, um, you know, job description. It's always focused on, you know, what tools do you know? What, you know, can you do X, Y, Z? So if you were going to maybe, you know, flip that and say, here are kind of like the soft skills that a CMO is looking for, that a leader of marketing ops has, do you have a few of those that you think are super important or that you would add to that list?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, some of those soft skills are, you know, do you have the ability to communicate with people um, that have different personality types? So can you be a chameleon? Cause mm-hmm. you know, and and that comes back to like, how do you become like a VP of marketing or a CMO someday? Like if, if my communication style was the same for everyone, um, it would be a lot more difficult than if I could figure out how to adjust based on people's moods or how they like to be talked to. Um, Because there's more of them than there are me. So I'd rather just adjust myself and move on. And I think that that's very important for an ops person as well, especially when you're trying to work cross-functionally. You know what hot button issues might be for the product marketing team versus the demand gen team and how to ask the questions in the right way. Uh, And I think the other piece here too is um, like how you know we're entering, there's a lot of conversations around marketing ops versus sales ops versus CX Mm -hmm. ops versus revenue ops. And how versed are you in um, kind of the, the full funnel? And, and how much do you know about customer lifecycle? Because mm-hmm. regardless of whether we have a revenue ops focus or not, like most companies need to be at least executing in the background as if it's a centralized function at this point. So I think it's someone yeah. who understands that as well.
2: What, what's your opinion on that evolution um, where the you're marketing ops, sales ops, you know, combining into this revenue ops
1: function? Love to know what, what your thoughts are i think um i think in business the less silos the better so i, I view revenue ops as just a, a silo quite frankly where mm-hmm. um you know if you were to pull marketing ops away from me it would kind of be like taking my right arm um, yeah. I'd, I'd have to go through another department and another set of standards and another set of opinions in order to get my job done um, mm-hmm. but i do the the philosophy around end to end i agree with hundred percent. And I, I do think that there needs to be a framework and a cross collaboration between uh, the different operations teams on, yeah. as part of REV. So, okay. so then
2: marketing ops stays within marketing, sales ops stays, stays within sales. They have kind of a different agenda, but there's a lot of overlap. So just making sure there's just really good communication and they're working well together yeah. and they inherently kind of develops a, kind of a revenue ops function between them, but still the reporting lines stay the same. That's how I prefer it. But you know, ask me in a year from now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yes, yeah, definitely evolving. I feel like my opinion on
1: that changes yeah. every day. Because <laughs> I think yeah. if, at the end of the day, you just want to make sure that the job's getting done. And I think, yeah. in a lot of way, revenue ops is and how it functions in a company is reflective of how your sales leadership and marketing leadership uh, align with each other too. So.
2: Um, yeah, and there's a lot of, there's a lot within marketing operations, which is just so specific for marketing, right? Especially if, if marketing operations is a, is the execution arm for your demand gen team or your field marketing team, right? You don't want to have to, that like, you know, programs not go out because they're focusing on you know, a CPQ project or something, something more revenue focused. So, so yeah, there's definitely, it's hotly debated. And I think it, you can see pros and, pros and cons with, with
1: both options, I think. totally. For sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so um switching gears, um we wanted to talk about something maybe a bit controversial. Maybe we'll see. But we wanted to know what's something that you find a lot of MOTS people do um, that you think a CMO like yourself or any others would really disagree with, or do you you think might be hindering their career? Because We've talked about this before, but sometimes you feel like the MOPs role can really be stifled as far as like getting a promotion or, or seeing the career path that you have. And it could be some of maybe the areas they're focusing on or things that they're doing. So do you have any opinions on maybe some what those things are or um, what you think they could do better to um, in, in lieu of that?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting, and I, I could probably apply it to like my own career, too. And it's like knowing when to focus on a detail and when not and when to let go, quite frankly. So, you know, I love marketing ops. I love demand gen. It's where I come from, and um, I could dig into data and, and dashboards and geek out with the best of them. Um, but I do think that you probably, you know, in order to be more successful and to move up is is learn your audience, learn when to dig into a super deep metric and when to keep it up here because it can quickly become quicksand and it can quickly kind of almost drown out a conversation where you don't get your business point across. If you're if you're talking too much technical detail without enough just business. Yeah.
2: And that's kind of goes back to your saying before, be a chameleon, right? Know know your audience and adapt to your talk track to them. Yes, I think as well marketing operations people, especially those that come from that technical background could Mm -hmm. probably fall into that trap. Maybe those that cause a lot of, there's like two groups generally, those coming from marketing, those coming from a technical background and they kind of meet in marketing operations. (laughs) Those coming from marketing probably understand that, right? Because they don't, they're not, they understand the data enough and they understand that to be able to do their job, but they're not, they're not coming from that point of view. They're coming from a marketing point of view. Um, have you Have you found that when you've kind of thought about this the person and how their communication style and whether they come from that technical type background or marketing background and how they've been communicating data and reporting
1: Yeah and I mean I and honestly I, I feel like somewhat of responsibility is on me to make sure that there's a reporting mm-hmm. framework and a way that, to guide the conversations that are meaningful to the company um, and I, I feel like that there's a way to to really leverage both kind of technical, I guess I would call them personality types, right? Um, to to achieve the same result. Mm-hmm.
2: Have you, so actually maybe kind of jump diving a bit deeper into kind of that framework that you just mentioned, what are, what are the metrics that matter to you and, and what level of detail do you generally try to go to when you're, um, you know, you're absorbing data and you're, Getting that information from your team and you're relaying that to the board you know the ceo and kind of as, as a cmo like what are you looking for there i know it's such a massive question but if you can like dive into that
1: yeah right. so i mean the, the way that i kind of think about it at the board level i want every metric that we look at to be in a report card right so we're we're highly aligned yeah. with our sdr organization so at the end of the day marketing and sdr are trying to achieve a certain number of meetings that move the pipeline and a certain amount of uh, ACV that moves to pipeline. And then from a revenue success standpoint, we're trying to uh, hit a certain revenue number and I've committed a certain percentage of that comes from marketing and SDR. So how did how did that perform, right? Uh, and that's all the board needs to see. Um, they, they need to know if it's working or if it's not. And if it is um, working, then like, let's talk about like what we're gonna invest more in to give you more of that. But then it, in the marketing team meetings and. You know, when I go and talk to our exec team, that's when we get into the next level, deeper metrics. What does it take to get to X amount of meetings? What does it take to get to those revenue numbers and use those as regular kind of health check metrics? So I care a lot about, um, you know, how is our database marketing program running? How are our Sendoso for Sendoso programs running? How many inbound leads are we getting? How many target accounts have we actually taken through a cadence and recycled back to the database or dispositioned into actual pipelines. So we, we care about all of that. Um, and we check in on it regularly via dashboards and, and metrics reviews, but at the, the top level, it's more around, um, you know, are you hitting the business goal? And if you are, how do you do more of it? If you're not, let's go deeper and see what's not working. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So how, I mean,
2: I feel like, most companies now know marketing needs a revenue number but i think it's probably probably still some that haven't quite got there yet how important is is having a revenue
1: number to use as a marketer cmo (laughs) so if um if a marketer brings me a dashboard that does not have a revenue number on it i tell them that um, i don't want to see the dashboard so i i think it's about as important as it gets Um, for me personally um you know a, a large portion of my variable comp is tied to overall revenue performance and I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's critical. I, I, you know, I joked with one of the CEOs that I used to work for. Um, he recently hired another marketer and, um, he said he was thinking about putting that marketer on a revenue number. And I said, you've never really truly been a marketer until you've had a revenue number. So <laughs> embrace yeah. it. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's definitely, it just, creates the right behavior right the company is there to you know drive pipeline close that pipeline and if you're if you're only focusing on the metrics before that then that can really skew skew some strange behavior or manipulation yeah. of those numbers absolutely um so switching gears again so we've worked with you at a few companies now like chris mentioned at the beginning and one thing that we've talked to, you know, seems very important to you is the ABM strategy, working with sales. You mentioned that as well um, on, this, in the, on this call. So given that, I'd love to know, like, from your point of view, like, who owns ABM? Like, obviously, it could be sales, you, marketing, like, com- combination. Like, I'd love to dive into how you've structured that. Yeah. And then how important has marketing operations been to that on the, ex- on the execution of that plan?
1: yeah, I mean I, I've rolled out ABM and been a part of ABM at a few different companies now, and I'll hands down say that the best performing ABM has buy-in from marketing, from sales development, from account executives, and uh, here at Sendoso actually from our CX team as well, right? So mm-hmm. I think when you're when you're kind of putting a target account framework around your your Tam, and defining what your world is and all agreeing that what a tier one looks like, a two, a three, how many employees should be in a company, whatever it is. When you have that centralized agreement across uh, all of go-to-market and customer-facing teams, uh, it, it's actually this, um, it's almost uplifting because you're all having the same conversation in the same context uh, and, and understanding the world uh, in the same way uh and abm i mean that's just the data piece right i think as it relates to the the actual journey with you know what does messaging look like what does the life cycle look like what are the different steps look like um that's where i think ops is just so critical to be aligning with you know um, marketing ops obviously the tip of the spear but then with sales ops and cx ops to make sure that it's a consistent experience across the entire business
2: mm-hmm. and how and how much then do you rely on your tech stack to support your ABM? Um, obviously, there's, there's lots of different tools in the ABM space now. Um, you can mention the ones you use or not if it, that's up to you, but how important is, is the actual tech stack to really getting the insight getting an understanding of your target accounts, following, creating programs for them, all of that kind of stuff? Like, how, how yeah, is
1: that? I think the first, the first agreement that you have to have really with with marketing and SDR and sales, and more marketing and SDR than anyone is like, are you thinking in a world of leads that are disparate? You don't really know where they come from other than that they liked you. Or are you thinking in a world of accounts um, where mm-hmm. the people in those accounts are you know, individuals and, um, and need to be spoken to in a certain way? Um, so I think the, the, that's an agreement that does not require technology full stop. So if you can agree on that and start approaching your world with accounts and then contacts, um, then that's the first thing. And I think the technology is then what enables that. Um, and we, we use a ton of different uh, technology. I mean, we have EverString for target account um, data and, and being able to prioritize. We've got Engageo for the, the actual uh, lifecycle data on where they are in their engagement funnel. We've got terminus for digital advertising. We actually just brought on six cents on top of that for mm-hmm. other point of view on you know the dark funnel. Um but the first the first step is really just, you know, do you believe in accounts or not?
2: Yeah. And that's oft, often one of the hardest steps, right? To get yeah. everyone on board again, disagreeing on the list, right? Yeah. I mean, obviously you could use platforms like ZoomInfo, et cetera, to get those lists, but just trying to nail down the list of target accounts and understand who your ideal customer is. And, um, there's always quite a challenge.
0: It is the methodology. And I think we talked about that a lot, like for marketing ops, I think we quickly dive into tools. And, um, a lot of the time we don't do the thorough work before that to really get the company ready for that tool. Um, yeah you know, like you're bringing this thing on board, it's going to take some time to nurture along, get it, get it going, it needs adoption. Um, but the first piece is really getting people mentally prepared for that or having them understand the value of it. And that's even before purchase. Um, yeah. And you can apply that to what you talked about with ABM tools and the ABM strategy, but really like anything, attribution tools, um, you know, Anything that where it really takes that level of education to make it work, um, yeah. or people using it to make it work, uh, is definitely important.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So lastly, um, you know, f- free question kind of, but we just wanted to know what was one or two pieces of career advice you'd give to anyone in B two B marketing and specifically ops, um, and you know because we talked about what you look for, but is there anything else, you know, from your point of view, you, you're a CMO now that you think, um, looking back on your, you know, your own career, what is some advice you would give yourself?
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think you, you actually said it on one of your recent podcasts and it's something that, that I had said back in the day and it reminded me of it is like some, be it being comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think is just so critical especially when you're in a data role and and you're you know kind of flying close to the sun like you're if you're in marketing ops you're helping with board slides you're seeing if we're winning or losing um and you you just have to be okay with like seeing bad things whether that's in data or performance or whatever um and not letting it affect you um so that you can get better and more well rounded and then I think the the other thing is um Get out there and and do these sorts of things. Like get on a podcast, get on um, mm-hmm. get on thought leadership. Go write blogs for your um, for your technology providers. Go have conversations because that's I think really helps people propel their their place forward. Um, just by having different perspectives, knowing different people It's just so critical. I mean, I I never thought I'd be working with you guys three companies, but <laughs> I, I can't imagine not right. And it's like every time um i'm talking to another company it's like oh well, how are you guys handling marketing ops like oh cs2 perfect <laughs> like,
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so how
1: how would you so I, I the uncomfortable thing is such a such
2: a good point i think um the in marketing operations there's there's a lot that can make you uncomfortable but it's probably true for every role but how, how what, have you come up with any strategies to deal with that is it just kind of a learned behavior like how do you like what what would you, what would you be your advice to someone who struggles with that day-to-day? Yeah, I
1: think um, it's, so Maria Pergolino, who I know we all know, um, she had us read a book when I was at Aptis um, called Emotional IQ or something, Emotional Intelligence, and they had like a 24-hour rule as part of that book, and that really stuck with me. It's like, if you see data or you see something that you don't have to react to right away, take a little bit of time, reflect, and then figure out how you're going to respond. I think is a really good uh, strategy for being uncomfortable with uncomfortable things. Because half of the battle is not reacting, it's being more intellectual and figuring out how to deal with it. And sometimes you don't even have to deal with it. That's, yeah. that's amazing, I love that.
2: Because I think you can apply that to so many things too. Uh, not just the being uncomfortable, but just anything in, in multi-operations where we just react and we're not thinking about the strategic like nature or, or is this a priority now kind of you touched on it like you don't have to do everything like what what is going to be your, on your priority list yes you might get an email about this problem but you need to look at that within the context of everything else take 24 hours think about it is that should that really be at the top of your list should you be dropping everything else just yeah. to deal with that one thing so yeah that's a that's a, i think that's a great way to to sign up and
0: having that time gives you the option to even think about do i trust this data or is there a reason for the source of this and you can dig deeper Uh, i i read probably my favorite blog post this year today by rand fishkin and he was talking about how attribution is probably like killing a lot of creative marketing because you know, we do a podcast like this and it's sad to say, but people are just going to go straight to Google and search that one cool thing or listen to on their podcast. You know, like you can't pick that up from an attribution source. And then if you just take that, you know, you see your numbers going up and marketing's doing great. And you can at least say, oh, we did a podcast that week. Like, of course, you know, let's tie some attribution to that. But because you can't get that into a dashboard on Salesforce doesn't mean you stop doing it. Um, But if you talk about revenue, like you said, with your board, and as long as it's up and to the right, and you're making, you're just thinking, okay, maybe I need to get that data a different way, or I need to think about things a different way, and then you're able to articulate that, then you're able to overcome that like, miss, you know, or that channel not performing well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that would be a mistake to just stop doing that. So To your point, even giving you the extra time to think about if this data is even true or if there's other reasons, I think is, you know, can really save the marketing department in general from making bad decisions as well.
2: Yeah. And I think we actually brought you, you, Dan, up on a podcast, back you know, I forget several weeks ago about um, three strategies that I think helping companies break through the noise, because you do a lot of things like this. And I feel like a lot... Every week, I see you speaking to someone else and it's just like really, really good. You even mentioned it, obviously, it's good good for you, but it's also great for Sendoso, right? Getting the brand awareness out of there. But it's probably, there it might be some ways you can you know, track that, but it's going to be quite hard to track that. But You must just inherently know that this is you know, a good thing to do all around. It's just a win-win. And there's probably other activities, kind of more maybe in some of the content marketing that. It's a little bit harder to track when it's not on your own web property. Like how how do you reconcile that um when you're thinking about what to put the marketing team's time into?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a tough one. And I I think it's highly contingent upon the brand that you're with, um, like mm-hmm. and how it plays into kind of the brand voice. And for us at Sendoso like we know that um that we are kind of loud, boisterous, like we're something that lands on your desk and we just believe in brand. So yeah you know, the way that I justify it is um, anyone that would type in Sendoso.com, like I'm going to assume that they saw something like this at some point and that's driving just direct web traffic. Right. And you can measure that over time. And, um, and we have measured it over time. I mean, even before I joined Chris and team, we're doing this all the time and you just, you kind of just see this natural trend and just part of part of the brand. Yeah, totally. love it,
0: And I I think the, uh, a great final point from career advice for people is just, you know, you look at artists or designers and they have their portfolio, and I think for a marketer, you maybe can point back to campaigns, but for marketing ops, it's really hard to have that like public facing kind of, uh, you know, portfolio of the things that you do. And yeah. so things like this are just great, like articles that you write on LinkedIn, like you said, guest blog posts. Podcast that you're on. All of that can be packaged up in a way when you're going to an employer, they just can see your thought leadership um, in action. And that just further sets you apart from the candidates who don't. And if you're able to really articulate that thought leadership um, or have done great things, even better. So I love that advice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, it was great having you on. I, I feel like this is super useful for um, even CMOs who are looking to hire, just to hear kind of like how you think about the department and and also just your overall marketing strategy. Um, but for anyone in marketing ops looking to make that next step, it was great to get your insight. So thanks so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you, Dan.
0: We'll see everyone on the next episode of Forward Thinking.
2: This is Charlie. So if you liked what you heard. Hit like on the platform where you watch this. Also, leave a review. Honestly, we'd really, really appreciate it. You can also subscribe where you listen to your podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or even YouTube. And make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, which is packed full of exclusive content, updates for events or courses that we might be doing, all designed to elevate your marketing operations and B2B strategy. See you next time on Forward and Forward It Up.